So excited that you're here. You know, today's uh, we continue this series called Plot Twist. Uh, just want to give you a little bit of announcement. Uh, what was normally known as Westgate, the church that we have adopted, you know, up uh, North Spokane, is now officially called VRL Riverside. So VRL Riverside is the new name. So we want to get used to that and more information's to come in the weeks and months to come. Just be praying right now. We're just really seeking God for a campus pastor. So just asking God to kind of lead us in that direction. Just pray along with us, you know, along those lines. So uh, as this idea of plot twist, as you know, is just when you think things are going a certain direction in life and it just takes a turn. Uh, many times a turn for the worse, and so we face this on a regular basis. Now, I was going to tell you about how me and some staff members, you know, went to Florida a little week ago Sunday, uh, but the person named Ian decided to come and crash the party, uh, and we spent two days trying to figure out, as we got into Florida, how to get right back out of Florida before the hurricane came. I was going to mention all of that, but I thought I would rather mention how uh, hurricane mariners came into Toronto yesterday. You know, uh, it, was, uh, it was amazing, you know, for me to watch the faces of the Toronto Blue Jays' 50,000 fans, how excited they were when it was eight to one, and then to see plot twist, things completely change, and for the first time in Major League Baseball history, the road team was down by seven and came back, third time ever, and so... I can't believe I'm saying that out loud. The Mariners are moving on. So that's a, that's a, a plot twist for sure. Uh, Jason Pegg, that's called baseball. That's a team, you know, in, in sports. You know, I know that can be challenging, you know, for you. Hey, so we're in this series called Plot Twist. Plot, plot Twist. That's third service on Sunday morning. Uh, Jeff Camp last week talked about Joseph and his hijacked dreams, how he faced blitzes in life. Didn't Jeff do a great job? Jeff did an amazing, amazing job. And so to catch up in the story again, uh, Joseph has these dreams, his brothers hate him, his father favors him, and he gets beaten by his brothers and sold into slavery. His brothers go home and tell his dad that he's actually been eaten by a wild animal. So his dad from this point for many you know, years to come thinks his brother, I mean, his son is dead. And so that's where we're at with Joseph. And though we pick this up in Genesis 39, verse one, which says, so, so when Joseph was taken to Egypt by the Ishmaelite traders, he was purchased by Potiphar, an Egyptian officer. Potiphar was captain of the guard for Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. High standing. The Lord was with Joseph, so he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. Potiphar noticed this and realized that the Lord was with Joseph, uh, which we're going to get to in just a second, giving him success in everything he did. This pleased Potiphar, so he soon made Joseph his personal attendant. He put him in charge of his entire household and everything he owned. From, the day, from that day, Joseph was put in charge of his father's household and property. The Lord began to bless Potiphar's household for Joseph's sake. All his household affairs ran smoothly and his crops and livestock flourished. So Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything that he owned. With Joseph there, he didn't worry about a thing except what kind of food to eat. So things are going well. And what we realize is that God is with Joseph. It's mentioned three different times in that section. And I just want to stop right here and remind those of you who are followers of Jesus, especially when things are not going well, that God is with you. That God is with you. In fact, in, in Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus says, And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Or in 1 Corinthians six nineteen, Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives... In you. So God is with you and was given to you by God. 
Now, God is not only with you, but I just want to remind you on this day that God loves you. Not only does he love you, he actually likes you. And I say that because many of us grew up in church where we understand based on we just celebrated communion that God loves you, that he sacrificed himself. But there's many of us who when we do something wrong or we feel like we're distant from God, that for some reason God doesn't like us anymore, that he's like ashamed of us or he turns his back on us and it's just not the case. In fact, one of the greatest examples of this is God with his own son, Jesus. He goes and he gets baptized and he comes out of the water. The spirit of God descends in him like a dove and then God says these words and a voice from heaven says, this is my son whom I love, which we would agree with, but then he doesn't stop there. With him, I am well pleased. He doesn't just love Jesus, he likes Jesus. Why? Jesus hasn't done jack squat yet. He hasn't even begun his ministry yet. He's he's just lived his life on earth. And I want to remind you of this because I want you to take hold of this powerful truth that not only does God love you, he likes you no matter what. He wants to be with you and he wants to be around you. And when God is with you and when he's around you, he shines himself through you. Notice that Potiphar noticed that God was with Joseph. He didn't say, man, this guy's a great hard worker. He's got great ethics. I'm gonna put him in charge of more stuff because look how hard and gifted he is and how talented he is. He doesn't say any of that. He recognizes that God was with Joseph and when God was with Joseph, things just went better in and around of whatever Joseph was in, was, was in charge of. The reason I say that is God is with you and he wants to bless you and he wants to shine his light through you. He even calls you salt and light. Salt enhances flavor. You are called by God to enhance the flavor of other people's lives outside this room. You are so precious to God. In fact, salt was uh, even given as a form of payment to Roman soldiers in certain parts of the Roman world because it was such high value. That's how much value you have to God and are valuable in the life of other people. He calls you light. You're supposed to light. And when a light shines in the darkness, people are captivated by that. They're like, there's something different about this person. And so Potiphar recognizes there's something different about Joseph, and it doesn't take him long to recognize it's because God, Joseph's God, is with him. People notice you are loved by God, you are blessed by God, and God is with you. But time for a plot twist. Verse 6, Joseph was a very handsome and well-built young man. Potiphar's wife soon began to look at him lustfully. Come and sleep with me, she demanded. (laughs) That went fast. The Bible speeds things up, you know, sometimes. Just so you know, we don't know how long, you know, things happen between one instance and another. Just want to give you that background. But Joseph refused. Look, he told her, my master trusts me with everything in his entire household. No one here has more authority than I do. He has held back nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How could I do such a wicked thing? It would be a great sin against God. And this wasn't just a one-time deal. Notice this. She kept putting pressure on Joseph day after day, but he refused to sleep with her. And he kept out of her way. You're going to want to remember that for a little later. Kept out of her way as much as possible. One day, however, no one else was around when he went in to do his work. She came and grabbed him by his cloak, demanding, come on, sleep with me. Joseph tore himself away, but he left his cloak in her hand and ran out from the house. So the plot twist that I want to remind us of today is when things are right, when things are going well, especially when things are going well with God, realize that giving into temptation is right before you. 
that just because you think things are great, that's the time that you and I should be on alert the most. It's oftentimes not when things are going bad in our lives that we need to have our guard up. It's the opposite. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10 tells us this. If you think that you are standing firm or standing strong, be careful not to fall. The temptations in your life are no different from what we experience. And God is faithful. He will not allow the temptation to be more than you can stand. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so that you can endure. So what we want to do is unpack this idea of temptation. Because there's a lot of miscommunication and misunderstanding when we look into this, into this idea. See, temptation is not a sin. But it is something all of us face regularly. This is what's common amongst all of us. But it is not in and of itself a sin. How do I know that? Because Jesus was tempted. In fact, it tells us in Hebrews 4.15, For we do not have a high priest, Jesus, who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one, Jesus, who has been tempted in every way, just as you and I are. Yet the difference is he did not sin. Right? So temptation in and of itself is not a sin. So what is temptation then? It's an enticement to do evil or wrong according to God's word. It's evil or wrong. It's not according to what you think or believe or what our friends think or believe or our family or our culture or even our church. But what does God's word say that it actually is? It's an enticement to do evil or wrong according to God's word. James says it this way. And remember when you're being tempted, do not say God is tempting me. God is never tempted to do wrong and he never tempts anyone else. Temptation comes from our own desires, they call them sinful desires, which entice us and it drags us away. These desires give birth to sinful actions and when sin is allowed to grow, it gives birth to death. So James walks us on the trajectory of why temptation, even though it's not sin in of itself, why it's so dangerous and we've gotta be very aware when it comes to temptation. Because first, temptation happens, James tells us, from our own sinful desires, from our own desires. So here's, here's my first real question for you, because it's going to get real, real quick today. Can you identify what you are tempted by that does not align with God's word and will? Can you readily identify? And again, temptation is not wrong. It's not sinful. But do you know where you're tempted that's going to potentially lead to something else? Okay, let me be authentic with you as well. So I know for myself that my temptations are lust. Number two, self-reliance, which is another way to say the word pride. I don't need anybody or anything or even God. I can do it myself. And thirdly, turning to escapes as comfort instead of God. Like I turn to isolation or I turn to entertainment. Sometimes I'll turn to food for comfort instead of turning to God. That's me. I know that about myself. What about you? Do you know what you are tempted by? Because if you're able to understand what you're tempted by, then you're able to find victory in and through the temptation. Because what James tells us, temptation's not the issue, but temptation gives birth, a beginning to sinful actions. And it's usually something that's slow and it's little. And so it's something that we kind of give into that's contrary and entices away from God and his word. And it starts happening over and over and over. And then James tells us, then these sinful actions, especially when it becomes a pattern, leads to death. Like, whoa, that's pretty harsh death. He's not talking about physical death, although that could be a reality. He's talking about potential death of relationships, uh, death of your finances, death of your dreams, death of a job, because you're engaged in sinful actions that seem like 
it feels good and it's fun and it's engaging and it gives you that high, you know, it's, 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 it's awesome to be able to experience. If sin wasn't fun, you wouldn't do it, neither would I. But where does it lead? The continuation, God says, leads to death. God is not a killjoy in the sky trying to take away our pleasure and fun. He's actually trying to say, these actually lead somewhere that you need to understand could lead to destruction in your life or in the lives of other people. Uh, in fact, look at this from Potiphar's wife's standpoint, right? He, she sees this strapping young man and she lusts after him, the Bible says. So the temptation is there, but then she goes and she acts on the temptation by wanting to sleep with him. Now we don't know what happened, like I said, between the time she lusted and the time that she engaged in that. And I highly doubt that she thought through what the consequences of that decision would be for her sake. You know, what would that mean to her marriage, to her standing point, to her very life? Did she have kids? We know that she was, you know, in a, in a very, you know, well-respected household. There obviously was issues in her marriage. You know, so all these things are taking place, and I doubt she thought through the consequences in her life. But she, like us, experienced the three most common temptations. Uh, all of us experience the thing, and it's the same at the very beginning of the Garden of Eden. Same three. See, uh, uh, Satan comes to, to Eve and says, hey, don't listen to God's word. Let me entice you with something else. And so she looks, and this is her response in Genesis 3, 6. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate it. So the three common temptations, and maybe you've heard this before, is the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. And all of us, again, experience this. So let's start with the first one. The lust of the flesh just describes what it means to live life dominated by our senses. Basically, however you feel, based on your body and your physical nature, you need to act on those feelings. Now, almost everyone at some point or on a regular basis will be tempted with what the Bible calls sexual immorality which are things like pornography, sex before marriage, adultery, homosexuality, bestiality, and anything sexual outside of God's will and plan. And some of those are obvious, but other lusts of the flesh are things like an overconsumption of drugs, an overconsumption of alcohol, or food in general, which is not for our health, but just solely for gluttony. See, Potiphar's wife sees how handsome and good-looking he is, and her attraction leads to an action because of lust of the flesh. But it also leads us to lust of the eyes. Okay, lust of the eyes is the grass is always greener mentality. It means it's a lack of contentment. We have a lack of contentment with God, others, or things. Lust of the eyes describes someone who is captivated or desires or pursues whatever they see. I see that new car. I don't care how much debt I need to go into. I got to have it. I see that new dress. I got to buy it. I see that new position at work. I must have it at all costs. Now, is having a new car, a new dress, or position at work wrong? No. But is it solely driven by a lack of contentment? And if it's a lack of contentment, we see these things like, ooh, I see I have to have. I see I have to have. And all of us experience that. There's a reason why they spend billions with a B in marketing so that you and I will see something with our eyes and be like, what? I want that. How in the world have I ever lived my life without having that? That's the lust of the eyes and how powerful it is in our lives, which then leads us to the pride of life. The pride of life describes an arrogant spirit of self-sufficiency. 
It expresses the desire for recognition, applause, status, advantages in life. Uh, Have you ever talked to someone where no matter what you talk about, it always seems to be about them? Okay, it always seems to be about them. Or uh, it's a person who likes to one-up conversations. You know, hey, I went on a trip to Leavenworth this last week. Oh yeah, last, last year we went on, a, on, a, on a, this, this vacation to Hawaii for six weeks. It was amazing. You're like, well, thank you for bringing that up right when I brought up my vacation. That's weird. You know, it's a person who constantly, you know, uh, quotes their resume, you know, when they're talking. You know, just like what they're saying is look at me, affirm me, notice me, look at my pride, look what I've accomplished, look at who I am, don't you know who I am? And we can fall into that because we want people to pay attention. It's the pride of life, it's the self-sufficiency. All of it is based on our sinful nature. So here's what I wanna say with the time that we have left. How do we fight? How do we find victory against falling into temptation? Okay, not temptation itself, but against falling into it. What can we learn from Joseph? Because he doesn't say much, boy, but his actions give us some great insight to how we can find victory over these things in our lives. So here's some questions. First, do you have a committed relationship with God? Do you have a committed? Good luck trying to fight temptation without a source and a power that's greater than you to be able to fight. In fact, here's what we notice by Joseph is not the reason that he said, I'm not going to sleep with her, you noticed, was for two reasons. One, he didn't want to disrespect his master who had given him all this authority, but don't forget the next verse. How could I do this? It's such a wicked thing. It would be a great sin against God. So we know that he has a relationship with God, that he has a connection with the God of the universe to say, you know what? Even though nobody else is looking, they may never find out, this would be displeasing to the God that I serve, the God that I'm in relationship. So we, have, we know he has a relationship. That gives him the strength. What about you and I? Do we have a relationship that's committed to him? Secondly, giving in to temptation is won or lost in the mind. It's won or lost in the mind. Romans 12, 2 says, don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think, not changing the way you feel. Sometimes we think, God, just change the way I feel about myself, about others, about sin, about temptation. God doesn't promise that, but he will promise us to change the way we think that we're led in our lives by how we think, that we're not driven by this culture or by our own sinful nature that says, if it feels right, if it feels good, then I'm going to do it, I'm going to participate because I should feel good about those things. And that's not what God says. It's won or lost up here. And to make decisions even contrary to how we feel, again, because God wants what's best for you and for me. Third one. Pray to God for strength when facing temptation. You know, one of the famous prayers that's ever given, right, is the Lord's Prayer. But one of the, one of the lines doesn't get mentioned as often as some of the other ones are, which is, and don't let us yield to temptation, Jesus says, but res- rescue us from the evil one. God, help me. I need help. I need your strength. So do we pray on a regular basis? And let me give you a, 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 little, a little key. Don't pray specifically for the thing that you're facing. Uh, Like, for example, you know, if you say, you know, I don't want to lust, don't want to lust, don't want to lust, what are you doing? You're reinforcing lusting in your head because that's all you're thinking and processing and praying about. 
In fact, uh, I've said this before. Uh, one of the greatest theologians who ever lived that impacted my life is by the name of Homer Simpson. Okay? <laughs> Homer Simpson decides to go on a diet. Right? He goes on a diet. He wakes up the next morning. He goes downstairs. There's three donuts that are sitting on the table, and nobody else is around. And he is tempted by what is before him. And all you see in his mind, all you these thought bubbles, don't eat the donut, don't eat the donut, don't eat the donut, then don't, the next scene, donuts are gone. Okay, he ate all the donuts. What was his problem? His problem was he continued to focus on the thing that he kept saying don't focus on. When we pray, let me give you a clue. Don't pray specifically for the thing that you're focused on. Pray for the opposite. Okay, when I'm doing okay in my relationship with Christ, and there is lust at my front door. You want to counteract that lust? Start praying for your wife. Pray for your spouse. It is fascinating how lust goes down because you're not focused on that. You're praying and thanking God for the things that you do have. If all of a sudden you find yourself, I'm always consumed with wanting the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Don't say, God, help me not want the next thing, the next thing, the next thing. Start thanking God for the things that you do have. Thank you for my car. Thank you for my house. Thank you for the job I have. Thank you for, and all of a sudden that will begin to dissipate. Pray for the opposite, which gives you the strength to face the temptation, which leads us to the next one. How do we fight temptation? Run. Just run. Run from temptation, especially sexual ones. We gotta run. When in sexually tempting situation, the, the solution isn't to fight, it really is to flee. Dan, are you sure? Because I wanna fight. I'm not a person that runs from battles. I wanna fight. Absolutely, because the Bible tells me, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, run from sexual sin. So it tells us, run. No other sin so clearly affects the body as this one does, for sexual immorality is a sin against your own body. And then I've already read this next verse. Don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price. So you must honor God with your body. So we run. We find ways to, to, to run away from these things, which then leads us to the next one because as you know, we don't have to run very far because it's all around us. Temptation in general is around us all the time. So we need to be willing to set up boundaries with people things and places that you know will lead you to sin. You know what those places are, and so do I. Well, I don't know about your places. That'd be weird. You know, the way I said that didn't quite come out right, right. I know where your places are. That just got weird. 11 o'clock, you're welcome. Here's what I know about myself. See if this is true for you. I know that I am most often giving into temptation when I am tired emotionally, spiritually, or physically. I know I'm most often you know, most susceptible to giving in when I am in those three categories. In fact, somebody else told me, you know, this last uh, Thursday, uh, one of the things they remember is when they're faced temptation, they say, halt, H-A-L-T. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Or am I tired? Those are the times we're most open to giving into temptation. So where is it and when is it for you? You know what it is, but do you know where it is? You know when it most happens for you? Uh, maybe it's getting compliments from someone at work when you're not getting them at home. Maybe it's a gal who admires you and gives you respect. Maybe it's a guy who listens empathetically to how you're feeling, pours on admiration and attention that you used to get from your husband at home that you're not getting as much. And it just makes you feel good because you're getting those words of affirmation from somebody who's not your spouse. In other words, this is the way to say it, be wise. 
be wise. It's never usually a right and wrong situation. It really is the question, what is the wise thing to do? What is wise for me to do? In fact, the parallel chapters to this, if you want to go a little bit deeper, is Proverbs chapter 7 and Proverbs chapter 8, when they speak on this idea of wisdom. This is just a little section from it. When I was at a window of my house, looking through a curtain, I saw some naive young men, and one in particular who lacked common sense, who lacked wisdom. He was crossing the street near the house of an immoral woman, strolling down the path by her house. So these guys knew if you go down this, there's going to be temptation is going to come at you. And are you going to be able to stand? Why go down the road? In other words, avoid that road if you know that is an area of temptation. And so let me give you a couple more examples. Social media. Okay, social media is a gateway, you know, when it comes to temptation. Now, again, if you haven't done the research yet, you need to understand again, I've tried to say this three or four times, algorithms are set up for whatever you look at, even for a few seconds, whatever you click for sure will affect your search engine, will affect Twitter, will affect TikTok, will affect you know, uh, Instagram, will affect Facebook. And all of a sudden you'll start seeing those things on a regular basis. That's the way the algorithms are literally set up. They are that smart. And so do you have some boundaries when it comes to those things that might lead you to giving into temptation? that you can put in place. Like I'll give you a real life example from mine. So my uh, um, um, college age son uh, started uh, to communicate to me uh, through TikTok, okay? So I had a, a choice to make. Will I start engaging and learning about TikTok or will I just ignore my son? So he would send me not inappropriate things. He'd, be, oh, he'd always try to send me some funny dog animals and, you know, dog animals, that doesn't make any sense either. You know, some dog, you know, videos and, you know, that kind of stuff. He'd do that on a regular basis. He was awesome. So I said, I got to sign up for TikTok. So when I sign up for TikTok, there's some inappropriate things on TikTok. And there's some gals who forget to get their clothes on in the morning, you know, at TikTok. So I'm scrolling through and I'm like, okay, okay, I don't know how to get through. What is happening here? So one day I'm at work. And I'm, this is awesome. This is so me being real. I'm standing next to our executive pastor, Jay, okay? And Josiah, my son, sends me a TikTok video. And I'm like, oh, this is probably gonna be good. She goes, what's that? And I click it on. I go, check this one out. Awesome. And then I decide to flip to the next one, string bikini girl. I'm like, ah! And he's like, whoa. I'm like, ah! And we're like, we don't know what to do, you know, in this situation. I said, I don't know how to stop these things. And he goes, ooh, I do. And so now we're in a group of people and still looking at the picture and he puts his finger on my phone and he holds it. And I'm like, what are you doing? And then all of a sudden this little bubble comes up and it says, not interested. And you can click not interested and it all of a sudden resets the algorithms. And I was like, Jay, thank you. You saved me. This is awesome. I can still have TikTok and engage with my son. And so you can think, and Jay's like, well, I didn't learn it. I learned it from Luke. Luke's like, I didn't learn it. So a bunch of middle-aged pastors trying to figure out social media today is a good example for you. We're trying to figure this out. <laughs> It's hard, though, because it's pushed everywhere. You know, whether it's something you're trying to buy or you start thinking about buying, you're like, ooh, there's that new car, and then all of a sudden you see ads everywhere for the same new car. Funny how that works. So wisdom, what is wise for you? It may be different for different people. See, I grew up in, in uh, the, the purity generation. Purity generation, you know, almost went too far when it just said, hey, all you got to do is completely eliminate whatever it is from your life. And I'm like, that makes no sense. Yeah, never talk to a girl for the rest of your life. I'm in high school. I'm like, this makes no sense. Why? Because you talk to girls, it leads to sex. You're like, what in the world is happening? So in an attempt 
to actually try to produce purity, it actually produced some, some opposite things in some people's lives. So the question is, what is wise for you? When it comes to your TV, social media, and internet viewing, what is wise? What is wise when it comes to friendships with the opposite sex, especially the ones that you may be attracted to that are not your husband or wife? What is wise when it comes to going up to a bar when you're struggling with alcohol? What is wise when scrolling through Amazon looking for the next thing? What is wise? What is the wise thing to do? Now, it's not just enough to just run and avoid. We actually need to run to something, not just away from something. I want to encourage you to run toward God and others. I am by no means a gardener, but I had talked to somebody this week, you know, who said that, uh, you know, when you got a bunch of weeds in a flower bed, because one of the ways to help get rid of weeds long-term, plant more flowers. You'll still have weeds, but you'll have less of them because you're actually putting something that you want and healthy into the soil. Think of the algorithms again. On social media, when you start looking at things that are encouraging and pleasing and helpful and growing, it's all of a sudden those algorithms are in play as well, and you start seeing that on your feed. Replace temptation by something helpful, by something useful. Uh, speaking of running toward God, many of us don't, right? When we fall into temptation, our tendency is to avoid turning to God. And the reason is for most of us, if we're to be honest, is because we feel embarrassed, we feel ashamed, we feel like we're separated from, again, we don't think God likes us in those moments, even though we know he loves us. And even though God already sees and already knows and is just waiting for us to turn to him, which is always a reminder of the prodigal son, right? He gave into temptation, he took all this money and he went to a foreign country and he spent it in wild living, anything you can imagine. He participated in them when the money ran out and he was at his lowest. His first thought wasn't my loving father is going to accept me. His first thought is maybe I can grovel and become his servant. And when he got up and rehearsed his speech and his long way off, what did his father do? He ran to him, threw his arms around him, cut off his speech and said, you're my son. Restored him back into the family. That's what God sees in you. We have this image of God like some father figure that we had or didn't have in our lives, and that's not who this God is. He wants us to turn to him to stop suffering by ourselves. Second thing is that we have an opportunity to share it with others. You don't have to go on this journey alone. In James chapter 5, 6, 16, it's one of the most misunderstood verses, I think, where it says, confess your sins to each other and pray for each other that you may be healed. It doesn't say that you may be forgiven. That's from God. There is a healing that takes place when we shine light on our struggles and we are authentic on the journey to become more like Christ with other people. So we share what's going on. We're real with, 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 with certain ones that we have great relationship with so that we can become like Jesus together. Don't do it alone. Which leads us to this last one. Embrace the truth that you are not defined by sin but you're defined by his grace. You are not canceled. You are not put out. One of my favorite you know, uh, uh, stories in all of the Bible is when the woman who's caught in the act of adultery is thrown before Jesus. She must have been embarrassed. She's incredibly fearful. She must have felt great shame. And all these people are out ready to kill her. And Jesus starts writing stuff on the ground. And we think that it's the sins of those who are going to cast the stones. Because he says he was without sin, shall cast the first stone. They drop their stones and leave. But I don't want you to miss what he actually said to her. Jesus straightened up 
and asked her, woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She says, no one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you. The God of the universe says, neither do I condemn you, but he doesn't say it's just okay. He says, now go and leave your life of sin because he knows that this is leading to death in her life. It's leading to death in the relationships that she actually wants to have. It's leading death to relationships in her community. So it's, it's, it's hindering some, maybe some dreams and some things that are taking place in her life. It's leading to death. So he says, you got to leave this life of sin because it's hurting you. But I want you to receive grace and truth. John tells us that Jesus came and that order is important. Grace and truth. We oftentimes like to reverse it. We want to give truth. And then if they're still there, maybe we'll give them some grace. And we do that to ourselves and we do that to other people. Flip it around. That we were able to give grace, that that is what we're defined by, what Jesus has done, not by what we are doing, but by who he has done. And because of that, we want to live a life that honors him. And so with that, I give you a lot of different things. We flew really fast. There could have been a whole series just on this one. But go ahead and take a look at the screen because I want you to see all of them at once. God has you here today for a reason. Which one is he asking you to apply? If you try to apply all of them, you'll apply none of them. And you know the circumstance when it comes to temptation in your life of which one may be the best and the most appropriate right now for you. Can you identify which one that is? And then secondly, can you have the courage to tell somebody else? To share it with somebody else? To say, here's the one that I'm going to try to apply this week. And as you're processing that, we just, I just told you, Joseph did so many of these things. He set up boundaries, right? He didn't want to go around her on a regular basis. He tried to avoid her. He ran. He fled. He honored God. He had a relationship with him. So with all of those things, let's see how this chapter and his story ends. When she saw, when Potiphar's wife saw that she was holding his cloak and he had fled. She called out to her servants. Soon all the men came running. Look, she said, my husband has brought this Hebrew slave here to make fools of us. He came into my room to rape me, but I screamed. When he heard me scream, he ran outside and got away, but he left his cloak behind with me. She kept the cloak with her until her husband came home. Then she told him her story. That Hebrew slave you've brought into his household tried to come in and fool around with me, she said. But when I screamed, he ran outside, leaving his cloak with me. Potiphar was furious. When he heard his wife's story about how Joseph had treated her, so he took Joseph and threw him into prison where the king's prisoners were held, and there he remained. Wait, what? He, he, did, he did everything right, and, and he was punished. See, another plot twist is even when we, don't, when we do what's right, we might still suffer. But why? Why do these things happen? Doesn't it just tick you off? when you're actually trying to do what's right and you see other people and they're not, they have no care in the world and they're prospering and you're the one that's suffering, where in the world is God? I'm so glad you asked because I'm gonna tell you next week because we are out of time. <laughs> so you're gonna have to come next week because that is the message for next week. Where is God when it all goes wrong, even when you're trying to do what's right? That's next week's message. So as we close today, what temptation or sin are you facing? And what is your next step in enduring or working through it? Maybe some of you have been battling by yourself for a long time. 
and you've kind of kept this in the dark, it's time to bring it to the light. Maybe it's to get in a group. Maybe it's to head to the cross afterwards and let somebody know. Just to be able to pray for you, to come alongside. Let's go on this authentic and transparent journey with Jesus at the center together. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you so much for today. We love you, and we give you all the honor and glory. We pray, Father, that you would just help us in the temptations that all of us face on a regular basis. Father, thank you for providing ways out. Thank you that temptation in itself is not a sin, but help us to know the thing that we need to apply for our situation this day. Thank you for Joseph. Thank you for his model and his example. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.